Jesus up this morning. Hallelujah. There's nobody greater than him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We magnify you, God. Hallelujah. Would you lift your voices this morning? Hallelujah. There's nobody greater. There's nobody like him. He's the great I am. Jesus, we love you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. I feel the presence of the Holy Ghost in this place. I feel that we're, if you're here this morning for the very first time or second time or third time, I'm here to tell you that you're in the right place. Amen. This is a New Testament church service. Amen. Just like the book of Acts. Amen. There are some people that walked into the first New Testament church service in the book of Acts, and they asked the question, what meaneth this? Others mocking said they were full of new wine. But Peter stood up with the 11. Amen. He said, these are not drunken as ye suppose. Amen. This is the, he's like, this is the first church service. He said, but this, what you see is that. Amen, which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Amen, that God in the last days would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Amen. So today, if there's any question in your mind, whether you're in the right church, and you ask, what meaneth this? It's the very same questions that they had in the book of Acts. Amen. You're in the right place. Amen. God is so good. It's good to see everybody in the house of the Lord this morning. Thank you, musicians. And I don't say this often, but they they do put in a lot of time and effort to practice and sing and play skillfully. I'm thankful for our music team and and, uh, the musicians. They do an excellent job. Amen. They take time and effort just like... We do when we study, they practice and they play and they try to sing on tune. I believe that's the will of God, that we should do the, their very best and do an excellent job. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. Before we get started, we do have a card up here for Pastor Chuppy. Amen. It is, is he here? Is he in there? He's not feeling so well, but it is his birthday this coming week. He's going to be like 47 or something like that. Looking pretty good, amen? We're going to give him this card. So happy birthday, Pastor Chuppy. His hair came back with less gray hair than last time. He's just looking younger and younger. Amen. God's healing. The process is in place. God's doing it, amen? All right, Genesis chapter 1. In verse 1, I love the book of Genesis. I feel like if I don't start my sermon with Genesis, I I can't even start the sermon. This is kind of where I'm at, so I apologize. But Genesis 1, in verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face 
of the waters. I could stop right there and preach. It says that the earth was without form and void and darkness. I remember a time where my life was without form and it was void and it was dark. And I'm thankful that the Spirit of God moved. Amen. Aren't you thankful for the moving of the Spirit of God? Amen. But that's not what I'm going to preach today. Verse 3, it says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. We're going to go down to verse 28. It says, And God blessed them. So after creation, um, it says, and God blessed them, and, he, and, he said, and God said unto them, be fruitful. He said this to Adam, and he, be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Amen. Today I want to preach to you this morning on God's division equals our multiplication. God's division equals our multiplication. I wonder if we can just pray this morning. Let's just ask God to have his way in this place. Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be together, God, in fellowship with your people and in your presence today. God, I pray that your word would go forth in a prophetic way, God, that it would be anointed, and God, that it would land on good ground, God, that we would open up our minds and our hearts to you today, God, that we would receive what you would speak to us in this place. God, I pray that there would be some things done today, God, there would also be some things undone, God, that there would be hearts touched and minds changed in this place place. God, I believe that you have new destinies for people. God, that you have expected ends already lined up for people in this place. In the name of Jesus, God, in faith believing today, God, that you would touch every man, woman, and child. Would you pray with me this morning? Every man, woman, and child here today. God, that your spirit would move. God, if there's anybody that needs something from you today, God, that they would receive it. In the name of Jesus, God, we've gathered in this place, not just to gather one more time. But God, we need you today. God, we need a closer walk with you. God, we want to know you more. God, we want to take another step closer to you today. In the name of Jesus, God, I pray that your angels, God, would be round about this place. God, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke every demon in hell. God, that would try cast doubt and fear in the hearts of your people this morning. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, God, let us receive, God, what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I feel something in the place right now. I feel something here right now. God is about to do something. Amen. You may be seated in Jesus' name. God's division equals our multiplication. And in the very beginning, we read in the book of Genesis that God begins to speak things into existence. He begins to create things. And he also begins to divide some things. He begins to sort some things out. And there was some separations that were made. As you read through Genesis 1, you'll read in verse 6 that he divides the waters from above from the waters below. You read on in verse 14 that the lights in the firmament divided 
the night from the day. And he was talking about the sun, the moon, and the stars. And it's repeated in verse 18 that the sun and the moon and the stars would divide the light from the darkness. And the greater light, the sun, and the lesser light, the moon. And we see that in the very beginning that division is the very nature of God. Division. But I don't want you to get the wrong idea today. Okay, God hates division in the church. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. We understand that Proverbs 6 declares that a proud look, a lying tongue, and, ha- and hands that in, uh, shed innocent blood, and heart to, that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. This is a list of things that God hates. So God hates division in his church, but yet division is in his very nature. So today I'm not talking about division within the body of Christ. We understand that there is scripture after scripture. David said it like this, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Amen. The Apostle Paul talks about endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. He says such things like forbearing one another. We understand that Jesus commanded us to love our enemies. So today I'm not talking about division in the church, but I'm talking about the nature of God today. Division is in the very nature of God. We see it in creation. That he separated, he divided light from darkness. That he separates good from evil. And he begins to sort some things out as we read through the book of Genesis. And it's interesting, I just, I I love how creation itself testifies of God's nature. This is something that has been, I feel in the last year or so, this is, my eyes have been opened to this, where the very creation, the very things that we see testify of Jesus Christ. Psalms chapter 19 and 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Amen. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 says, For the invisible things of him, says, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Paul wrote that from the very beginning of creation, we have been able to see his creation, which has revealed God's invisible qualities. All we have to do is just look around. Through the creation of the world, we can understand, this is what Paul said, we can understand his great and mighty power. If you just begin to look at what we see in this earth and how everything works in the solar system, it would, it's just foolish to believe that this all just happened, but that there had to be a creator. Amen. It would be, and I use this example all the time in Bible study, but we've all seen those videos of these mechanical watches, the ones that you wind up and they tell the time and they have um, the date and all these sort of things. And there's no battery, but you wind them up and there's all these little gears and parts that are made. There's a, there was an engineer who designed this watch to work. And to believe that that watch just 
it just happened. That it just showed up one day and it works the way it does. That would be unfathomable to think. Same with if we look at just creation and how everything works. Just look at our human body. It would be unfathomable to, to think that this just happened, that it just works. But it's very easy to believe that there was a creator behind all this. So through his creation, we can see his, his power and, and his might. Amen. Through his creation, we can see the nature of God. We read in Genesis 1.11, it says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. In the beginning, God spoke the process of how a plant was going to was going, the seed was going to be buried, how, and it was going to grow, and it was going to, how it was going to come into existence. God spoke this into existence, and we can see God's nature in his creation. That the seed would be buried in the ground, and that the seed would die, and that it would bring forth and bear fruit after his kind. So we just look around and we can see Jesus in all of his creation. We read a scripture in the New Testament, John 12 and 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Amen. And really all creation testifies of the death in the burial, in the resurrection. All we have to do is just look around and we will see his eternal power and his Godhead, God's very nature. It's pretty cool, isn't that? It's pretty neat if you just begin to look around and you begin to see it. All scripture testifies of Jesus Christ. In church, Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. Amen. His name means Jehovah Savior, that the God of the Old Testament, that he decided that he would come down to earth himself and robe himself in flesh. And he took on the form of a man, and he made himself of no reputation. Amen. The Bible says that the fullness of God was in Jesus Christ bodily. Everything that was God was in Jesus Christ. Jesus wasn't the second person of a triune God. He was the first and only person of God. He was the express image of the invisible God. Amen. And we see it in creation. We read of how he, he came to save the world. It was through the death, through death on the cross and a burial in the tomb and a resurrection on the third day. And we read that through the shedding of his blood that today we can have remission of sins. Aren't you thankful that you can have remission of sins today? Amen. That he can wipe away all your shame and all your guilt. Amen. That he can give you you a new life. I'm thankful today for the shedding of the blood through the infilling of the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
we can have Jesus living inside of us. Amen. He came to divide the light from the darkness. And he came to take your sin away. And he came to, to, to divide good and evil in your life. He came so old things would be passed away. And that all things would become new. Amen? I'm thankful for the nature of God. I'm thankful for who God is. Amen? That he would come and do that for an old wretched sinner like me. In Genesis 1, we read about the light and how he divided the light from the darkness. And 4,000 years later, we read in John chapter 1 about the Apostle John. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. The Apostle John in John 1 and 1 says, In the beginning, he's going back to creation. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, there was a plan. In the beginning, there was a, a th- God had a thought of redemption. We go to verse 2. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by Him. And note, as we read through this, John, when he refers to Him, he's referring to Jesus. He says, and all things were made by Him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life. And the life was the light of men. Amen. And the light shineth in the darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This was John the Baptist. He came to, uh, for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. But he was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light. Who's the light? It's Jesus Christ. Verse 9, that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world. Jesus was in the world. And the world was made by him. He manifested himself in flesh to walk on the very earth that he created. But the world knew him not. He came unto his own. He came unto the the Jewish people and his own received him not. But as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. John is saying right here, to them who believe in the name of Jesus Christ, and to them who he gave power, and he's talking about the Holy Ghost. He said, which were born, not of blood. I'm not talking about a physical birth here, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. I'm not talk- John's like, I'm not talking about a birth that is physical, that is fleshly. He's like, I'm talking about a spiritual birth. Amen. Which were born, a spiritual birth, but of God. And the word was made flesh <laughs> and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace in truth, the light in the very beginning was the plan of Jesus Christ. From the very beginning, from the very beginning, God had this plan of redemption. 
1 Peter 1 and 19 says, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Amen. I'm thankful for the nature of God, that he divided the light from the darkness. Amen. The word of God is so powerful. And it really just testifies of Jesus Christ. As we continue to read through scriptures, we read of how God divides and separates. Leviticus 20 and 26, it says, And ye shall be holy unto me, for I the Lord am holy, and have severed you, or have divided you from other people, that ye should be mine. We read through the Levitical law, and there was a separation from the clean and the unclean. Clean animals and unclean animals. Clean beasts and unclean beasts. Clean fowl and unclean fowl. God sorted some things out. Leviticus 19 says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I the Lord your God am holy. And Peter quotes this very same thing in 1 Peter. says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, in all manner of living, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And when we talk about holiness, holiness is, is really just separating yourself from a wicked world and separating yourself to a holy God. Amen. Conforming to the will and the nature of God. God said, be ye holy, for I am holy. Separate yourself from this world and just come closer to me. God wants his people to be separate, be divided from this world. God does not want his church to be like the world. God does not want his church to look, to act, or to walk like the world. Amen? That's, it's not because we're better, but it's because we understand that it's only by the grace of God that we are saved. But when you've been set free, amen, and when you've been called out of darkness, and when you are no longer a prisoner of sin and death, there ought to be something different about you. Amen. You ought not to look or act or talk or walk like the world any longer because God has called you unto holiness. I'm thankful for the opportunity to just draw closer to God, to be more like him and less like the world. Does anybody here have any projects that are half done? We got one guy, one honest, oh, three, four, okay. Got some honest people in the house this morning. Is there any baseboard not done somewhere? My kids are all raising their hands. <laughs> okay, so we, we, we're pretty notorious for half-done projects. I got a few of them, okay? There's some stuff in my basement that just aren't done yet. No, no door on the bathroom yet. There's no baseboard. <sighs> But, you know, I was taught as a kid, if you're going to do it, don't do it halfway. 
And it doesn't always work that way. But the Bible does say is that if you're going to go one mile, it says to go twain. Okay? And God isn't a God that likes to do things halfway. God isn't a God that does things halfway. Philippians 1 and 6 says, Be confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, he will perform it, it until the day of Jesus Christ. If God begins something in your, in your life, he plans on finishing it. Amen. He's the author, amen, and the finisher of our faith. I'm so glad that, that he didn't change his mind on the way to the cross. As they were mocking him and whipping him and spitting on him and, and that crown of thorns, I'm so glad he didn't change his mind but he endured the cross to the very end. He's a finisher. God's a finisher. But just as God finishes and doesn't like to do things halfway, he wants us to follow suit. I've heard it said that half, halfway obedience is disobedience. Halfway obedience is disobedience. And we read in Genesis 12 where God is calling Abraham. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country. And from thy... I'm talking about a separation. I'm talking about dividing light from darkness. God's choosing a, a specific people that he was going to call out. That was the children of Israel, Abraham being the father. He says, get thee out of thy country and from thy get away, leave your family there. And from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. God's division equals our multiplication. But there had to be a dividing before there was a great nation, before God was going to bless him, before he was going to make him a great name, before his descendants would be like the sand on the seashore. There first, before multiplication, there had to be a division. There had to be a separation. It says, And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God was calling Abraham to separate himself from the familiar, from his hometown, from his family, and from what he used to be. We read in Genesis 11, we go back a few verses, and, and Terah took Abraham, this was his son, and, and, and Lot, the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sari, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from the Ur of Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan, and they came unto Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So God called Abraham to leave everything. But we read that he took his father, and that he took Lot. But God told him to leave it all. So we have some halfway obedience in Abraham. He did not completely follow through with what God had said. 
And as they were heading to the land of Canaan, they stopped in Haran. There was a delay in the journey. And God didn't tell them to stop in Haran. God told them to go to the land of Canaan. And here we read, this is where um, Abraham's father died. And then we read that potentially, because of Abraham's father's advanced age, and that he had, he, you know, he had died in Haran, that Abraham possibly felt obligated to take Lot with him, because Lot's father had already passed away. So now, Lot didn't have any family, so Abraham, it seemed like the right thing to do, it seemed like the nice thing to do, but keep in mind, God said, leave your family. And Abraham halfway obeyed. And then we understand the rest of the story. We know that Lot um, did not help Abraham at all along the way. And he did not once help Abraham advance forward. He was always seemed to be causing problems. Um, Lot didn't offer to separate when the herdsmen weren't getting along. Um, Lot chose the fertile Jordan of the uh, Jordan plains and pitched his tent towards Sodom. He had to be rescued from the pagan kings that took over Sodom. Abraham had to go rescue him. Um, then, of course, we read where God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham interceded for him. So through Abraham's halfway obedience, there was a lot of problems along the way. But God was calling Abraham to be separated from his pagan surroundings. Understand that the, where his, his home country was, it was called the Ur of the Chaldees. And this was literally Babylon. This was, this was a pagan uh, nation. Abraham and his family were pagan worshipers. We read that when Jacob went back to Abraham's family, to Uncle Laban's house, that they were still worshiping idols. But God was calling Abraham to remove himself from his old life, from the idol worship, from the paganism. And God is calling you and has given you a way to remove yourself from the filth of this world. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. He's given us some commandments. He's given us instruction. Because he wants us to be separate from the world. 2 Corinthians 6 and 14 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. 
and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Paul had some choice words for the church in Corinth. He says, why are you teaming up with unbelievers? He says, what does light have to do with darkness? He says, does Christ and the devil have anything in common? He says, why would a believer partner up or marry somebody who's an unbeliever? Why would you do that? What agreement does the temple of God have with idols? And we understand that idolatry is just simply putting something between you and God. Putting something that you think is more important than God in the place of God. But God is a jealous God. God wants to be number one. There was an old message preached back when I was probably, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago. And the title of it was, God Understands. And the preacher kind of preached it in a way, you know, God's a gracious God. He understands. And then kind of in the middle of the sermon, he kind of switched. And he's like, God understands that you're too busy to come to church. So God understands that you're too busy to pray. God understands that you're too busy to read your Bible. God understands that you're too fleshly to fast. God understands. He wasn't talking about free passes. But he was talking about how God understands that you have idols in your life and that he isn't number one. God understands that. That's tough stuff. But God's a jealous God. And he died on a cross for you. He filled you with the Holy Ghost so he could be number one not second place to anything. And he's called you out of darkness. Amen. And into marvelous light. That you could show forth his praises. God was serious when he said in Matthew 6, 33, he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. In his righteousness. He said, then all these other things shall be added unto you. He said, take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Church, we can get very distracted with tomorrow. We can get very distracted with the things of life. But he was serious when he says, seek me first. Put me number one and watch and see me take care of you. I've never seen anybody forsaken by God. 
I've never seen God let anybody down when we put him number one. If we will come to obedience to the scriptures, God will sort all those things that we tend to worry about. If we will submit ourselves to what he says, to his commandments, he will sort out everything else. Through the redemption plan of Jesus Christ, God wants to restore to you what was taken away in the garden because of sin. So he divided the light from the darkness. And we read in Genesis 1 and 28, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion. We, this, is the plan of, this was the plan of God for Adam and Eve. And this is the plan of God for us today. And he wants to restore that to us. In the garden, Adam had fellowship with God. He had dominion over all the earth. And he had the power to rule in the garden. And when they sinned, they lost fellowship. They lost dominion. And they lost power. This is what sin does. It breaks up these things. But when we obey the gospel message, when we obey Scripture, amen, and we repent, and we are baptized in the name of Jesus, and, we're, and we walk and we're filled with the Holy Ghost, and we walk in the Holy Ghost, we are then restored to our rightful position in God. In repentance, we are restored to God in fellowship. In baptism, we regain our dominion because dominion comes through his name. And when we receive the Holy Ghost, the power is restored. Amen. This is the plan of God in our lives. Amen. That we would be separated from the world, divided from the things of the world, Touch not the unclean thing. Be ye holy, for I am holy. And then God can restore us. He can, re he can replenish us. He can he give us multiplication. We'll be a fruitful people. God wants to separate you from your sin. And he wants you to grow and multiply in him today. He wants you to bear the fruit of the Spirit. He wants you to give, a, give you a life and give, it to you, and give you life that's more abundant. This is what God wants to do. He wants, to, he wants you to have rivers of living water flowing through your belly. He wants you to drink from this well and you'll never thirst again. He wants you to be called the sons of God. He wants you to be a part of the inheritance that he has for you. But in order for there to be multiplication and growth, we've got to separate ourselves from this world, separate ourselves from sin. And God said, he says, what therefore God hath joined together, Amen. When we've, when we've grown in God and we were drawing closer to God, God said, what, what therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. 
Let's stand in this place today. I know this is maybe just a little, a little serious this morning. But through the death, burial, and resurrection, through the redemption plan of Jesus Christ, through his goodness and his mercy today, you can lay some things down at the altar. And we all know what we're going through. We all, God's speaking to us all a little differently this morning about different things. But church, I want to multiply. Church, I want to have dominion and power. Amen. But first, we got to divide ourselves from some things, separate ourselves from this world. Amen. So today, you have an opportunity to come to God. You have an opportunity. We, in Pentecostal church, we have, we have what we call an altar. And in the old covenant, the altar was just simply a place where things went to die. That's where the sacrifices were made. That's where the blood was shed. And today, you're welcome to come to this altar. If there's some things in your life that just need to die, we can lay it down today. Separate yourself from those things. God will wash the sin away. Amen. And you can rise to walk in newness of life. Amen. Let's pray together. If you would come, Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness.